And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with El Melchior on this Sunday. Lots to dig into. Of course, this was the week in which Jared Kelnick got the call to Seattle. Unfortunately, he is not available in many leagues, so we won't get to talk about him all that much on this episode. But there are a bunch of injuries that have taken place in the last couple of days. Those injuries are shaking up playing time situations in a lot of different cities. So lots to dig into there. We've got our usual two-start pitcher segment. We'll dig into some one-start pitchers as well. And there are actually a few relievers of interest to consider bidding on or picking up this weekend as well. Uh, Let's get right after it, though, Al. As I mentioned, Jared Kelnick, if he's out there in your very shallow league, of course you want to go get him. Uh, He's an impact player, a guy that could be a top 40, top 50 outfielder pretty easily the rest of the way, given the role, given the talent. Uh, But we're not going to spend a lot of time breaking him down. There are two Cardinals outfielders that we talked about, I think, last week and again on Fantasy Baseball in 15, and they're still among the better options available in some leagues. It's Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader. With O'Neill, we're getting plenty of power. Eight home runs now on the season, but a 2-35 to walk-to-strikeout ratio so far in 104 plate appearances. The power's there, but I'm starting to become a little concerned given what we're seeing with those plate skills. And rightfully so, DVR. Uh, you know, the things with O'Neill and with Bader, uh, you know, you can take two different approaches to this and, and you can take a look. And it, obviously it's going to matter in terms of your depth of league. If you're talking 14, 15 teams uh, and these players are available, then, yeah, I think you need to look at that skills profile and think about how much are these players going to hurt or help you rest of season. But I think O'Neill especially, but really Bader too, even though the Cardinals have a five-game week coming up, that these are players to consider streaming because uh, they've got two games against the Pirates, three against the Cubs. Here are the starting pitchers that they are projected to face this week. JT Brubaker, Trevor Cahill, Kyle Hendricks, Albert Alzali, excuse me, Albert Alzali, and Zach Davies. Now, you know, it, it's it could be, an easier set of matchups than that. Brubaker can be tough. Hendricks uh, may be coming around. Alzali is just flat out good. But I think this could be a big week for the Cardinals hitters. And O'Neill and Bader could be two of the, the more available ones. So I'm I'm looking at them, and especially O'Neill with the, the power potential uh, for, for my 12-teamers this week. Yeah, and I think you're definitely right to point out the schedule being a little lighter. I think these are two guys that will play... Probably all five of those games, though. So for teams that have heavier schedules with more of an outfield rotation, you know, six or seven games may end up being four or five starts for a lot of the alternatives that are out there. So that's still something to consider as well. And then you look at next week's schedule. I'm always looking an extra week out when I'm thinking about pickups. It's a full seven-game week for the Cardinals next week as well, uh, with a few good pitching matchups sprinkled in there, too. They got the White Sox and the D-backs, if we're looking far ahead. I'm a little surprised that 
Bader's available in about 80% of CBS leagues. I think O'Neal's available in more like 40% of leagues at this point, so it seems like he's been a lot more popular the last couple of weeks. Uh, the thing with Bader that's really caught my eye is the strikeouts are down. Only eight strikeouts in 57 plate appearances so far. Not enough to say that he's completely changed his profile as a hitter, but definitely a big step in the right direction for a guy that has shown a bit of swing and miss in his profile in the past. Yeah, and again, with that uh, short-term uh, look ahead, whether it's one week or two weeks, you know, you could take the risk that maybe he regresses in that regard and he can still, t- even with a few more strikeouts, take uh, advantage of some really good matchups ahead. Absolutely. I think you might have brought up Dalton Varsho at some point in the last week, either on this show last Sunday or on Fantasy Baseball in 15. I'm going to be honest, all the shows have started to blur together for me in the last <laughs> few weeks and, uh, We're happy to have uh, Michael Beller rejoining the mix here during the upcoming week. So maybe I'll start to know what day it is and what show I'm on uh, once he's back. But Dalton Varsho's situation is quietly getting better because the Diamondbacks are hurt everywhere. And we'll see Steven vote behind the plate because I think the Diamondbacks still have some questions as to how much they trust Varsho behind the plate at the big league level right now. But in leagues where Varsho is still out there, of course, he has catcher eligibility everywhere. He's got to be among the priority pickups when you start looking at how thin that depth chart has become in Arizona. Yeah, he there's got to be playing time for him, no question, with uh, how thinned out that roster is at this point. So uh, he rightfully belongs in this list of uh, hitters to to pick up this week and not only to stream for the coming week, but for, for a few weeks ahead, most likely. So when you're talking about Varsho compared to Bader and O'Neill in leagues where all of those guys are available, are they... 5% of your budget range guys, maybe even a tick more for someone like Varsho, given the state of the catcher pool. Like, How aggressive are you going to be with these higher-end bats that are available? I think the deeper the league, then the more it makes sense to go into that uh, 7%, 7, you know, 7.5% category of uh, fab expenditure uh, for Varsho, or really for any of these uh, hitters that we've talked about so far. You know, if you're talking about a relatively shallow league, I don't even with Varsho's ceiling probably being higher than a lot of your catcher alternatives, I still think that that's going to be a fluid position for a lot of people, especially in shallow leagues. And so it just to me, it doesn't make sense to go more than two or three percent on any catcher that is likely to be out there. He's been playing mostly center field lately. Cattell Marte starting to make some progress toward a return, but the injury that really changes things is Ezdrubo Cabrera is going to miss some time. He's been playing a lot of first base. So with the Diamondbacks, they have so many guys who can play multiple positions. You shuffle everybody around, and there's still a decent amount of playing time available for Varsho even after Marte gets back into the equation. And if you think back to draft season, also known as projection season. Uh, you go back and you look at Dalton Varsho. I think he had a pretty clear like top 10 projection among catchers in part because of those steals. And I think the projections actually like him a little bit as a hitter too because of what he was doing in the upper levels of the minors. So I'm with you on that bid range. I think all three of these players absolutely fit there. Uh, so for Steven Vogt, do you just see him as kind of a two-catcher league glue guy, mostly an NL-only filler at this point? Yeah, bingo. That's exactly how I would describe him. All right, let's move on, and let's get to the Dodgers situation, which is really tricky to figure out. They are the surprise team that apparently is bringing in Albert Pujols, so I was stunned to see that pop on my phone on Saturday. I was like, really? The Dodgers of all the teams? Like, a smart team (laughs) that I think generally does things the right way? Like, they're adding the player that I didn't think had anything left in the tank? 
so maybe there's something I'm not seeing in Pujols' profile. But what happened over the weekend, Corey Seager suffered a broken hand. He is going to miss a lot of time with Seager down. Gavin Lux probably just moves over and is the regular shortstop. And because A.J. Pollock is out right now, because Cody Bellinger is out right now, a lot of the usual suspects who can move around have spots to call their own. So Chris Taylor's playing a lot of center field. With Pollock down, we're seeing Luke Rayleigh get some run in left. I mean, they're getting really thin on that depth chart. Uh, Matt Beatty's playing a lot right now, too. And he's probably the most interesting player of all these guys because what looked like a temporary run of playing time for him last weekend is looking like a more extended run of playing time now. And then the other name that kind of catches my eye, at least until Zach McKinstry comes back, is Sheldon Noisy, because he might be the guy that actually picks up the playing time at second base. Beatty playing mostly for Pollock, and then Noisy playing mostly for Seager, who's basically got Lux in his spot at shortstop. Yeah, I think that uh, both Beatty and Noisy have some some appeal now. But this is the thing with the Dodgers, that you know, even with these injuries that they have so many quality players and quality uh, versatile players that I don't have a whole lot of faith that Noisy in particular is really going to get a whole lot of run because uh, you can move uh, Max Muncie or Chris Taylor over there. Uh, as you mentioned, Zach McKinstry will be back fairly soon. And we have, what we have seen in the past, though, is that when the Dodgers have been a, a bit thin, that they have given Beatty a lot of playing time. I, I like him a lot, especially to stream against uh, right-handed pitchers. Uh, in daily leagues or weekly leagues where the Dodgers have a lot of righties coming up. Uh, he's he's a terrific option, and I, I, have a, I have much more confidence that he's going to play often enough to have some value in 15-team mixed leagues uh, as opposed to Noisy, who uh, I'm not so confident in with, with that uh, depth of a league, uh, you know, more of an NL-only option as far as I'm concerned there. Yeah, I think you're right to say if Noisy probably doesn't fit in mixed leagues for now. If there's a keeper or dynasty element, I think he's been on the fringe for those leagues for a little while because of what he's done in the upper levels of the minors. But I would still be careful with him in a 15-team league, mostly because if they sign Pujols, they probably tend to play him a little. If they're going to play Pujols, they have to play him at first base. If they play Pujols at first base, Max Muncie moves over and plays second, right? And that comes at the expense of Noisy. So he's a watch list guy for deep mixed leagues. And if Pujols is strictly a bench player, we learned that over the course of the week, then we could be talking about Sheldon Noisy again next week, depending on the timetables and where some of these other players are at. But I think you're right to be more interested in Beatty. Uh, do you actually like him as much or more than the Cardinals outfielders that we discussed temporarily, even though both O'Neill and Bader look like they have more secure long-term playing time. If you're just playing the short game because of injuries, is Beatty the better pickup? It's close. It's really close. I, you know, given that these are all players that I would be looking at in this weekend's fab, that um, I would be giving preference to the Cardinals outfielders just because of concern uh, about the playing time for Beatty. Um, you know, like I said, relative to to the other options uh, on the Dodgers bench that I do like him better, but I still don't expect him to play every day. I certainly expect him to sit a lot against lefties. As you mentioned yourself, DVR, I don't have, there's no reason to really have questions about O'Neill or Bader um, sitting during the, the next couple of weeks. Yeah, they are locked in and defense is a big part of that too for the Cardinals. Lack of depth also factors in. Let's move over to Boston and talk about Michael Chavis for a moment. 
Uh, he had a chance to lead off against a lefty earlier this week. Then he led off against a righty, and he's getting playing time at second base, which is good because that means there's a chance he could coexist with Bobby Dahlbeck. Uh, unfortunately, you look at the lineup on Saturday, and Marwin Gonzalez was playing second. Dahlbeck was at first, and I, I don't know. Like this, this looks like a situation where Chavis could play sixty to seventy-five percent of the time. But if he's flipping between the top spot in the order and the bottom spot of the order, and the playing time just dips every couple of days, I don't know how rosterable he is in mixed leagues, even though I think he's talented enough to be a mixed league player if the playing time goes up. So I'm curious to know, what are you doing with Chavis based on what we've seen here over these last few days? Yeah, I'm I'm ignoring him in weekly mixed leagues. Uh Really a great target in daily leagues, uh, you know, because he's terrific to stream when he's at the top of that Red Sox lineup. But given that, as you pointed out, we don't know how frequently we're going to see that. It's just too much risk uh, to deal with in a weekly league that's that's not nail only. So, um, you know, there's, there's certainly more reliable options out there for playing time. Let's talk about Nomar Mazzara. He came back from the IL somewhat recently. Is he just back to his usual big side platoon guy role for now? I mean, I think... I looked at him coming into the season as someone who might have been undervalued because the Tigers could afford to give him 450 or 500 plate appearances, hit him in the middle third of the order, and just see if he could start to become the player he was expected to be earlier in his career when he came up through the Rangers system. Do you still see that sort of appeal, or do you just see more of a what-you-see-is-what-you-get kind of player who hits kind of an empty 260 with 18 to 20 homers <laughs> when the season's over if he holds the playing time that he's supposed to hold? Yeah, no, that's that's my expectation. Is uh, what you, what you have seen is what you're likely to get from Mazzara. Uh, maybe he'll he'll fool us in a positive way, but we've we've seen the same thing from him for quite a while now. So especially with him in that Tigers lineup, uh, you know, not a lot of run production upside for him anyway. So uh, I'm keeping my expectations pretty modest for Mazzara. Yeah, yeah, same here. I, I think he's a near min bid sort of player if you're just looking for some playing time in the outfield because it's probably a 75 to 80% share, given that they're going to rotate some younger players in there. He has to hit more than he's hit so far if he wants to play more and have the Tigers justify that sort of decision. I was flipping through one of the pages on Rotowire is a playing time changes grid. So it looks at any set period of time and gives you like a plus minus on number of played appearances compared to the same time frame previous. So you can look at the last five days versus the previous five days and see who's up and who's down. And Matt Duffy is a guy who's playing a ton right now. So if you're looking for just pure volume on the infield and maybe a decent batting average, not necessarily a lot of power, Duffy was one of those guys that I thought in a deep league, a 15-team mixed league or anything deeper, he might actually be a passable glue guy if you're looking for someone like that this week. Yeah, and if we compare him to Mazzara, I actually would rather have Duffy because I think the the playing time is going to be steadier. And I also think that if you're, you know, you're talking about empty batting averages, I think Duffy's batting average is going to be higher than Mazzara's, quite likely by by a good margin. Uh, maybe not as much power potential, but um, probably more run production. So comparing those two, if you need a, a hitter to plug in, I'm I'm prioritizing Duffy. Yeah, seven-game week for the Cubs, too. So high-volume guy with a high-volume schedule. It seems like a, a good temporary, cheap option if you need some help in the infield. Uh, you wanted to bring up a few nationals. Josh Harrison's a guy that we probably could have talked about last week, but every time I look at him, every time I see his playing time go up, 
I think that's the same old Josh Harrison. There's nothing to be excited about here. Like that little window a couple years ago in Pittsburgh, that's closed, and he's just a guy. He's just a Matt Duffy-type player at this point in his career, not somebody that we need to get all that excited about. But am I missing the mark with Josh Harrison? I don't think you are. So this is just strictly a week weekly play that I'm looking at here. But I think that the comparison with Duffy is really a good one. And batting average guys aren't that easy to find anymore. So in a week where um, the Nationals have a really great schedule, four games at the Cubs, three at the Orioles with no John Means scheduled. And in the, the weekly uh, planner, the, the next week in fantasy baseball, as we call it on The Athletic, uh, at that point, it looked like Means was lining up to face them. And I still thought that there were several Nationals hitters that were worth streaming this week. Uh, and again, again, we're talking more 14-15 team mixed league. But Harrison could score some runs and uh, and help your batting average uh, over the course of this week. And I would add Starlin Castro, who um, had been pretty hot at the, the time that uh, I wrote that piece a couple days ago. And Jan Gomes, who I'll certainly be looking at as uh, my Carson Kelly replacement for the coming week. So I think those three and, and just really just about anybody else that's out there from that lineup um, is, is a worthy streamer. I would certainly think you'd be giving uh, Victor Robles a look maybe if he's available in your leagues. Yeah, I know there are people out there who aren't me who are frustrated with Victor Robles. I'm, I'm frustrated, but they've been frustrated enough to cut him. And uh, you know, live your live your life, choose for yourself. Uh, I'm holding because I'm stubborn and maybe stupid, but mostly stubborn at the very least. Uh, Castro is like the ultimate oatmeal guy. I'm always surprised to see him pop up on mixed league waiver wires because he plays a lot. He, He's not going to hurt you in batting average most of the time. Run production could actually be a tick above average. So I'm there, right there with you on him. I think there's actually a little more long-term appeal there than there is for other players that we're talking about at this part of the group of hitters. And Jan Gomes, I was also surprised to see, I think his roster rate was in the 30% range on CBS. Mm-hmm. He's playing pretty well, and he's got a large share of the playing time in D.C. as well. So I, I do think Gomes should be more heavily rostered at this point. Uh, there were two names that popped on that aforementioned playing time page I was looking at. Tukapita Marcano and Brian O'Grady, but they're only playing more this week. I've played more this week because of the COVID situation with the Padres. That will likely go away in the near future. With that, both of those guys will probably end up losing all their playing time. So if you just notice that those guys have played a lot, I don't think you want to go after them, even in NL-only leagues, expecting anything more than sort of scrap playing time once everybody is back in the fold for the Padres, and it really shouldn't be a whole lot longer before that happens. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
All right, Al, let's get to starting pitchers. Lots to break down in this group. I felt like every time I saw a two-start pitcher on the schedule, I kind of had that, oh, I don't think I want to use this guy sort of reaction. There are a couple that we'll get to that might actually work. It just seems like the matchups came up in a way where lower-end guys didn't get good matchups and they're easy avoids. And even someone who's pitched really well, like Madison Bumgarner, this could be the week where the momentum stops. He's got the Dodgers, and they're banged up but in Dodger Stadium, and then he's got the Rockies at Coors. Do you trust Baumgartner enough, based on what you've been seeing lately, to roll him out there in these matchups? And if so, what's the league cutoff? Is it okay for NL only, but not okay for a 15-teamer, or okay at a 15-teamer, but not necessarily good enough in a 12? Because there has to be a point to draw the line with those two matchups, and I'm not entirely sure where it is, because I think I'm struggling to figure out how much I actually trust Bumgarner even in good matchups right now. I trust him with good matchups. These are not good matchups. Uh, <laughs> so uh, he actually was the player that I let off the uh, next week in fantasy baseball piece with, because this is just a really, really tough dilemma. But I lean on the side of not starting him in most leagues. Uh, I think you got to start him in NL onlys. Uh, you know, I don't even think that that's going to be controversial. Uh, you know, if you're looking at your roster, you're just not going to find an alternative. But in mixed leagues that are 15 teams or shallower, I'm staying away, even even in 15 teamers, because, uh, you know, while the Dodgers have had their offensive scuffles and they're, you know, have lost Corey Seager, I just think that's still that's a deep, tough lineup that can run up uh, the score on, on any pitcher practically at any time. And then at Colorado, that one kind of speaks for itself, but it's sort of the worst possible situation at Colorado where he's going to get them uh coming straight from from San Diego. So from an environment where there's going to be a ton of movement, uh, the Rockies hitters probably, you know, scuffling as they typically do on the road, but then coming back home and just, you know, seeing a fastball like a beach ball uh, <laughs> when Bumgarner is on the mound. So uh, I would just absolutely avoid him wherever I could. Yeah, let's go to another blast from the past who I think we're probably both avoiding this week. It's Matt Harvey. It's a good story if he pitches well this year. He's got the Rays on the road, the Nationals at home. I just couldn't talk myself into him. I, I think even even an AL-only league, I'd probably throw a reliever instead of Matt Harvey this week. I mean, you got a low K rate so far this season, too, so you're not getting that strikeout bump that you often get from a two-start pitcher where you can take on the risk of the ratios, but know that in two starts, you're probably going to get 10 strikeouts. I don't think you can confidently say that about Harvey at this point. Yeah, I think confidently is the operative word there uh, because I, I wouldn't be shocked if he came away with a, a really good uh, result from this week. But no, I, w- I wouldn't start him. And I think man, DVR, maybe any podcast I'm on, we need to start a, a weekly segment like here's what I was wrong about this week because I was very wrong about Matt Harvey going into this past week with that start against the Mets. I just thought that was a great matchup and that he had done a, a really nice job managing contact the season up to that point. But that's, you know, that's a high wire act when you stream guys like that, especially with one start. And and so that for me just kind of took Harvey off of my willing to experiment with list. Um, if he does great this week, then, you know, that's, that's terrific. And maybe uh, that gets him on track for me to consider him again later in the season, but no, way, way too much risk there. Yeah. I'm just worried that you're going to get 
nine to ten innings and probably seven or eight runs allowed and maybe you get eight or nine Ks but so low win probability you know not enough of a strikeout boost to justify it and ratios that are just sending you the wrong direction so passing on Harvey with those matchups what are you doing with Zach Davies this week he's home against the Nationals road against St. Louis so a pitcher friendly environment for the road matchup makes me feel pretty good and an easier park opportunity being home at Wrigley for the tougher matchup against the Nats like maybe I'm a little more confident in Davies turning things around than I should be but I still think he's the kind of guy who's really overachieved for his career as a whole in a way that's kind of sustainable I think inducing weak contact is a skill that Zach Davies possesses so despite the gross ratios we've seen for the season I actually kind of like Zach Davies as a two-start pitcher this week I think like is too strong a word for me, but tolerate will do Uh, (laughs) because for all the reasons you just said, he's got a long track record of success with ratios that doesn't add up to success for most other pitchers, but he hasn't been most other pitchers for the last few years. And it does look like he's starting to turn it around. I am not close to confident in him, but it's the sort of thing where uh, if it's a league, particularly like a points league, where I can see how my opponent's lining up and maybe they have a lot more two-star pitchers and I, I just need to do something uh, a little sneaky to try to keep pace, then Davies would be exactly the sort of pitcher I would would want to slot in there. But I I would be looking at my alternatives in, in any sort of league situation this week and would be perfectly fine with passing on him as well. See, the thing for me with Davies is that I think even in deeper mixed leagues, he's not going to cost much. If you're talking about a 1% to 2% bid, I think that's enough to be competitive in most circumstances because, uh, like Harvey, he doesn't strike a lot of guys out, so people lower their expectations based on that. And then he's got the ratios blow up already on the resume, so I think that keeps the price down a little bit as well. So I think he's a decent, cheap option, maybe a contingency option behind a couple of these other names that we'll get to here over the next few minutes. I'm kind of intrigued by John Lester with the matchups, but the skills just look awful. And it's like the Zach Davies profile with a higher walk rate. So am I just talking myself into Lester as a contingency option because I don't like most of the other two-start pitchers? Or is there some reason to be a little bit optimistic about Lester? No, you're just talking yourself into him. That's what I I figured. Uh You know, to be fair, we talked about him a little bit uh, this past week uh, after his most recent start on Fantasy Baseball in 15 because I did see these matchups. They're really good matchups. And so I thought it was just worth kind of tossing around. But when it comes right down to it this weekend, I don't feel confident at all. And if if the two of them are out there, Davies and Lester, and I'm in that scenario where I feel like I maybe will need to play catch up uh, in a head-to-head scenario, I'm... I'm going to go with Davies and not with Lester. I think we could maybe get to the point in leagues with daily moves where you could talk yourself into Lester against the Orioles later in the week as a, a pickup mm-hmm. and stream option, but I don't think you want to make that commitment in a weekly league at this point. Uh, Sam Hentges, yeah, who? Sam Hentges is getting starts <laughs> for Cleveland right now, and he's a fourth-round pick in 2014, 24 years old, a six-six lefty. That's kind of interesting. Has a fastball averaging 95, has two other pitches, has a curve and a slider. Kind of a a relative out-of-nowhere guy, someone who didn't have a ton of success moving through the minors, but also, you know, without a 2020 season, could have had a breakout last year at AAA or something that would have made us excited about him had there been a season. So 
I don't want to completely dismiss the possibility that Cleveland has, in fact, turned out another useful starting pitcher because I would have been similarly dismissive to Zach Plesak when he first came up if I had a time machine and went back and listened to what I said or read what I wrote back then. So my issue here with Hent G's is that you're getting the Angels on the road and the Twins at home, and even if he's more interesting than... The pedigree or what we know about him so far would lead us to believe those are not places where I want to experiment. So it's another case where, hey, that's kind of interesting. Oh, those matchups aren't good. So I, what are you doing with Hentges where available? Is he in the Davies conversation as a near min-bid pickup or are the matchups keeping you away from him? Matchups are absolutely keeping me away from him because I don't particularly like him more than John Lester. And I'm extremely squeamish about starting Lester with those really favorable matchups. So... I'm not looking at Henchies in, in any kind of mixed league. I will be starting him in my AL only league where I do actually have him, but you know, we know how onlys go. It's just if somebody's got a rotation spot, they are picked up. <laughs> and he's the last guy in my AL only rotation with two starts. He will roll for me and hopefully will not hurt me in the standings this week. Yeah, my hope is that he's not so amazing in this two-start week for someone else or on the wire where he becomes expensive because I do think later on, if he's pitching well, there might be a few spots where he streams if, in fact, he's able to stick in the Cleveland rotation. And I think with the struggles of Tristan McKenzie, there's a window open right there for a guy like Henchies to stick around longer than expected. But I'm with you. Short-term appeal is basically zero at this point, so I don't think I'm bidding in any mixed leagues. Uh, a shame, really, Logan Webb at Cincinnati, home against the Dodgers, a guy that is showing some signs and at least bringing Ks, but I don't think I can do this one either. I can't either. It is not an accident that I left him out of uh, this uh, edition of Next Week in Baseball. I mean, I guess I could have put him in as a caution, but uh, yeah, not a streaming option this week uh, outside of really deep leagues. You could just have a button. I could just push the button and have you say that on a on a loop. Not an option this week because it's just like we're breaking it down and, and trying to tell you why it's not going to work in most of these cases. Those are just two brutal matchups. I mean, with Webb, he needs home park matchups in San Francisco. He needs at least one good home start in a two-start week to be used at this point and simply does not have one with the Dodgers, even the banged-up Dodgers coming to town for that second turn. Uh, Jay Happ is out there, at least in some 12-team leagues, probably in some 15 teams as well. He's got the White Sox at home, Cleveland on the road. Where have the strikeouts gone for Happ? The ratios look pretty good until his most recent outing, but getting rocked his last time out doesn't exactly instill confidence. The K rate being down, to me, is a sign of Happ maybe just showing his age a little bit. Am I too mean is Jay Happ actually still useful or is this the beginning of the end of a guy that's actually probably exceeded expectations for the better part of the last five years I don't know if it's the beginning of the end because it seems like maybe we've said that about Jay Happ before but uh this is this is just not the time to to be starting him uh so yeah like you mentioned he had a rough start the last time out. Uh, it seemed like that kind of start was was bound to happen for him because not only are the strikeouts down, but there's really not anything in his profile that had explained the success that he was having earlier in the season. It just seemed like one of those kind of random small sample snapshots that you can see from you know anybody uh, kind of getting by without a great skills profile. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm not trusting Hap in uh, in mixed leagues. Period for this week and really for the for the foreseeable future. 
And there was one more name that caught my eye. If you're in the type of league where you have to be one week ahead on two-start pitchers to avoid spending too much money on them, Matt Shoemaker, who has not pitched well this year, next week has the Orioles and Royals at home. And I like those matchups for just about anybody. I know Shoemaker hasn't pitched well. I don't think he's this bad. He's home against the White Sox this week. So it really is a pick him up and put him on the bench for a week and then use him for a two-start week and basically get him for a mid-bid this week instead of having to pay 2 3 4% of your budget next week when that two-start week comes up. Do you trust Shoemaker at all for those two great matchups? Do you want to stash him in leagues where you have the luxury of that reserve spot available? Not really, no. Uh, I just I don't know that there's a team that I trust Shoemaker to, to keep in the park. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really avoiding him. And just to give you an idea of, of how I am valuing Shoemaker so far this year, uh, I have him in, it's a league that I've mentioned on shows a few times so far, very, very deep 24-team mixed league. And I'm basically toggling him back and forth in my last rotation spot with Merrill Kelly, uh, kind of based on matchups. I, uh, all things being equal, I actually like Kelly a little better. So I'm only starting Shoemaker in this super, super deep league if I have absolutely no other options. So even with a, a pretty nice-looking two-step, he's not an automatic start in a very, very deep league for me. There you have it. Probably the least inspiring group of two-star pitchers that we've seen <laughs> yet this season. Not because of the skills, but because of the matchups. The the on-the-rise types just getting completely crushed by their respective schedules here in the upcoming week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Let's see if we can find some one-start pitchers. This group actually does have a lot of good spots to pick from, so even though you're not getting two starts from a lot of your waiver pickups, one start from most of these guys will be really good. Logan Gilbert, more widely available than Jared Kelnick. Both players, of course, came up and debuted on Thursday. Logan Gilbert gets the Tigers his second time out, Al, and there's clearly some long-term ceiling here. 
And I think because he didn't come out and completely dominate in his first start, bids are going to be high, but not through the roof ridiculous. If he'd gone six scoreless with nine Ks, it would have been 25% of the budget or more in some really aggressive leagues. I think we're probably talking more like 10 to 15% in more competitive leagues. Maybe you can get him for a tick less than that a few places. Even if you have some concerns about him long term, just about anybody against the Tigers is usable. So I think you have to at least think about Logan Gilbert with a keep him honest bid, even if you're not necessarily interested in beyond this week. Yeah, I, yeah, I absolutely agree with that assessment. And there's got to be some way he's going to help you at some point this season. And just to make a comparison here, you know, Daniel Lynch, who just got sent down and understandably so, I'm holding him where I picked him up because... Yeah, I just think that he's just too good to not be a contributor at some point. He'll figure things out. So uh, Gilbert, I would expect, will be better than Lynch and don't expect him to get sent down. But uh, yeah, certainly worth the pickup. And then you can you know figure out if he fits into your rotation this week after you get him. And I think he's got enough long-term appeal to be rostered at least in 12-team leagues for a few weeks, kind of to see how it goes. Four pitches with command, as we've said a few times on our shows. That usually plays pretty well uh, if you're playing the look-ahead-to-next-week schedule game. And they are using a six-man rotation right now in Seattle. Gilbert would match up on the road against the A's for his third big league start. So that's not necessarily a spot where I'm locked into avoiding him. We'll have the benefit of more information. We'll see if he was maybe overthrowing his pitches in that debut a little bit. It kind of just felt like for a guy who was supposed to have good command, he didn't necessarily have his best command in that debut, but that's not really that much of a surprise. You imagine the adrenaline's pretty high, and a young pitcher like that's just trying to keep everything in check that first time out. So I'm erring on the side of picking up Gilbert with the long view in mind, and again, 10% is probably a really competitive bid in a lot of leagues if you got to go a little higher. If you're playing in NFBC leagues or something more competitive, you know, 12 to 15% might be what you have to do to get it done. Let's talk about Rich Hill for a moment. I was surprised to see he's still out there in some shallow leagues. I realized he was a guy that three weeks ago, Frank Stample and I were talking about him as someone you might have to cut, and I think since that show, Rich Hill has been awesome. He's on the road against the Orioles, would much rather have him get that matchup at the trop, but is he fixed? Is he good enough to go ahead and pick him up in leagues where he's available and throw him out there in a hitter-friendly environment? The peripherals suggest that he is fixed, and my only question about Rich Hill is how deep will he go in this start? And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, DVR, I think this is now three starts in a row for him of six innings. Uh, but it's just with the the Rays, you know, it, it seems like other than Tyler Glass now, there's nobody who's potentially immune from getting piggybacked. So I think that that's just a weekly risk that you'll take with Rich Hill. But I do like the matchup, even with the venue. Uh, I love the, the skill set we're seeing from him, and I'm willing to take that risk of getting three or four innings from him. And I, I tend to think that you'll probably get more than that. Yeah, I think they want him to be a source of innings. I, I don't think they're trying to preserve him the way they might be trying to preserve Luis Patino, for example. And maybe this applies a little bit to Shane McClanahan as well, but I think that's more of a, a long a long game sort of play where they want him to be used like a regular starter in July and beyond, or maybe even in June and beyond. So they've had to be more careful with him in May. But I think with Rich Hill, if you look at the total batter's face, which is I've tried to do this now in game logs on fan graphs for a while, like how many batters are guys facing when they're pitching well are they able to get 20 plus or when they pitch well are they getting like 18 to 22 before they get the hook if it's the latter 
that to me is the sign of someone that they don't necessarily trust the third time through the order. But you see a few 22s, 23s, 26s at the game log for Rich Hill. 26 was last time out against the Yankees. So I think it's really more just about how good he is on any given day and less about manipulating his workload because of concerns about his efficiency. He either has it or he doesn't. And against the Orioles, even though it's in Baltimore, I'm in. You know, I it, I feel like the ultimate flip-flopper here, but we're getting Ks. The walk rate's not terrible. Home run rate's kind of around its normal sort of level, 1.29 for the season, or 1.2 homers per nine for the season. Like All of those things kind of add up. Those are in line with my expectations for Hill. I'm mad at myself for bailing a few weeks ago in a few places and having him reserved for some of those those good outings that really helped to bring those ratios back to very competitive levels. Yeah, well, we've all been there, DVR. Uh, but I think you know, now the, the coast is clear and you just get him in your rotation. Let's talk about another guy that's uh, been a topic of conversation a few times recently, Wade Miley. No big deal, just a guy who's thrown a no-hitter available for a home start against the Giants. And the Giants are better than we expected coming into the season. I think it's fair to say that. But they have a 98 WRC+. plus. They strike out more than 25% of the time as a team. So they're definitely not a matchup to fear I assume you're comfortable throwing Miley against them at home wherever he's available. I wouldn't say wherever he's available and it maybe it's not a question of discomfort. It's just a question of, I mean, if we, if we're going to be literal of must, you know, literally use must start in, in 10 and 12 teamers, I'm pretty confident I can find a one, a one or two start option that I like as much or more, but if I can't, then yes, I am. And I'll use your word. Then I am comfortable. Right, let's throw them on the mix of in the mix of contingency options to consider with one start that'll work uh, at least in 15 teamers. I think I'd probably put them on a contingency list in a 12 if I needed a start this week and wanted to get a chance at picking up a cheap win. Uh, Mike Miner is probably in a similar class right now, even though Miley's results have been better. I think when you look at Mike Miner, you see a 119 whip on the season. ERA is just over 5 at 502. Those numbers don't usually fit together. Usually you get about a 4 ERA or even a high 3s when you have a whip in that range. Miner will get the Tigers this week at home, so I love that start. And there might be some appeal even beyond this week because he'll have the Rays who I am not afraid of. They strike out enough where I'll take my chances with mid-range pitchers against the Rays more often than not. So what is your interest level in Miner? Is it comparable to Miley, or is it actually closer to someone like Rich Hill? Uh, I'd say probably closer to Miley, and I do seem to like Miley more than most, so that's not <laughs> intended uh, to to, me, to demean Mike Miner in any way. So I would put him in the same category of comfortable starting him, fairly confident I can find somebody I like even more. You have to talk me into this one. Vince Velasquez, home against the Marlins. I can't do it. The skills look similar to always. Missing bats, but flaws, right? Walks, homers are still a problem. I mean, in a 15-teamer, maybe for a buck at the bottom of my list, but I'd rather throw Miley. I'd rather throw Miner out there. I just, I don't believe in him. And I, it's one of those things where when that start comes up, if I played DFS that night, I might stack Marlins. Like I, I might just do that and hope that the Vince Velasquez train derails for an outing. You never know when that's going to happen. So uh, I do believe in Vince Velasquez. I know that he exists, but uh, <laughs> if I could have any one of Gilbert uh, Hill, Miley or minor 
why would I mess with Vince Velasquez? I will not. I feel like that's what the rest of this group is like for the most part, but we'll see if we like any of these guys more than Vince Velasquez. That's our bar at this point. Uh, Tarek Skubal at Seattle, still looking for number the first win of the season, looking for win number one. That Mariners lineup, to me, is still very beatable, even with Kelnick in it, right? It's not a deep lineup at all. I mean, you got three or four hitters up top that are good, but you got a bottom half that is kind of a quad A group for the most part. Is Scooble streamable? Not yet. Uh, I, I really was high on him earlier in the season as somebody who could uh, make up for, for last season because the peripherals were much better than the, than the surface stats, but... Uh, sort of like, and I'm trying to remember, oh, yeah, talking about Shoemaker not, uh, you know, trusting him to, to keep any team in the park and kind of a similar feeling about Scooble. So I, I just need to see a run of, of some success from him. So I'm passing. That's a pretty watchable matchup, though. He's actually on the other side of the Logan Gilbert start. So that should be a fun, oh, yeah. fun game to tune in for. If you were looking to just get a look at Gilbert, you also get a look at Scooble that day as well. Uh, Jose Urania comes up almost every week because... No one wants to pick him up at Kansas City. Maybe it's a good enough matchup, Al, but I just don't see anything new in his profile. This is the same guy we saw for years in Miami who kind of has decent stuff, but never seems to get that much out of it. Yeah, he. that's right. And I've given up on waiting for the, the strikeouts that you think would fit his profile, but he is getting a lot of ground balls. So I think there is something to the success Kind of like uh, Yvonne Nova 2.0, uh, you know, back when Nova was was fantasy relevant uh, and that when Urania is good, he can go really deep into starts. I think he'd be a candidate for a complete game, mm-hmm. uh, you know, could certainly go six and seven innings when he's going well, but you just never know when it's not going to go well for him. But Royals kind of a borderline matchup. I, I would start Urania in a pretty deep league, but. Otherwise, he's he's maybe in the discussion of options I'm considering, but but probably ultimately not winding up in the rotation. At best, a 15-team, $1 bottom-of-the-list type guy, which kind of At puts best. him in the the Miley range, but lower than Miley for sure. Like at the bottom of the Miley tier, I think, is the best I could do with Irania at this point. Uh, Jeff Hoffman, home against the Brewers. Brewers are struggling in a big way right now, and... If we were to know for sure that Yelich and Hira are still going to be away and Yelich working his way back at, at AAA, Hira working some things out there as well, I think I'd maybe consider him as a $1 guy. But if they both come back, that Brewers lineup could start to wake up pretty quickly. That's a big switch with with both of those guys in compared to their current replacements for them. So I'm looking at Hoffman and probably passing wherever I can, even though there were some glimmers of hope earlier this season I think some of that early luster has faded and then there's Nick Pavetta he's out there in some 12 teamers at Toronto this week which I don't like and then at Atlanta next week as much as he's maybe changed our perception of him early on some of the underlying numbers still give me a little bit of pause with Pavetta so I'm just curious what you're doing with a guy like that with this stretch of two tough matchups here these next two weeks well I'd favor him over Jose Arena. So <laughs> he's, he's better than Urania. All right. A better Urania. And I mean, you know, you laugh, but I mean, I did say Urania would, would at least make the cut of pitchers I would consider in 15 teams and deeper. So he's not on, on the Miley level. Uh, if we want to talk about the Miley scale, you know, Miley minor, those are our preferable options for me, but I'd say Buffetta probably, you know, would slide right behind uh, uh, Mike minor for me. So probably not cracking the rotation, but 
if I've got some depth issues in a deeper league, I'd feel okay about starting Pavetta. The key for me with Pavetta is that the walk rate is actually up quite a bit and the home run rate's way down. And I don't think I'm comfortable after eight starts saying that he's figured out how to keep the ball in the park. And I realize like not being in Philadelphia anymore, that's a very homer-friendly park. So just leaving Philly brings that baseline down slightly, but I'm not buying a .63 homers per nine for him as something he's going to sustain going forward. I think he's at least a, a homer per nine, probably like more like 1.25 or more in that area. So he has to get that walk rate down before the home runs start to bite him. Otherwise, that correction is going to be ugly. It's going to be just you know, five plus ERA for a stretch of a couple of weeks. And this is the type of schedule where it can happen. So I think I agree with you. If you said you got to pick one, put it in your lineup between Pavetta and Urania, I'd probably trust Pavetta a little more because he's just more interesting. But I don't want to start either one of them if I can help it. Let's get to relievers. Not a huge group, but one pretty interesting development in Minnesota. Hansa Robles picked up his first save of the season on Saturday, Al. And ever since Alex Colomay lost that job. We've wondered if Taylor Rogers would be the guy all the time or the guy most of the time as part of a committee. I'm curious to know what you'd like to do in leagues where Hansel Robles is available this weekend. Probably not doing more than a, a nominal bid, uh, like less than 1%. If that's, if you're in a league that's that granular with uh, fab money. Uh, but not, not zero, you know, not zero. Like I think, it's got to be the kind of league where your options are pitchers who, you know, the best they can probably hope for is getting share a share of the save situation. And the thing is, if Rogers slumps or, or hurts or, you know, something of that, that nature, then Robles, I feel pretty confident is in next in line. And I like the skills that he's, he's shown this year. And I, I felt like going into this year that we as a community sort of um, penalized him a little too much for last season. So uh, I think if he gets opportunities, he'll take advantage of them. I just don't think there's likely to be a lot of opportunities, which is why I'm not going going more than a percent. All right, so you still trust Taylor Rogers to get most of those chances in Minnesota or at least someone else because of the committee approach to be a big part of the plan. I think for me, the key difference with Robles now versus a year ago, fastball velocity is back up a little bit. I think he was at 95.5 last year. He was down almost two ticks from where he was in that 2019 breakthrough with the Angels. The other thing that's still there, though, in the profile that makes me think 2019 from a skill standpoint was an outlier, the walk rate is up over five per nine right now. He was under two walks per nine in that great season with the Angels. He's really never been under four in the last five seasons other than that one year. So I think you're getting a guy, if he ends up with the job at some point, you're getting a guy who's probably a bottom-tier closer, but he's on a good team, so he plays up a little bit, right? And he misses bats. Like, I think he's a useful reliever, but I think he's also a volatile one because that walk rate for his career is in the 3.7 walks per nine range. That's a pretty high walk rate for a high-leverage reliever. So I think that's the one thing that kind of holds him back. Like, I'd be stunned if he ever had a run where he was a top-15 closer again, even if he had a job to call his own. I think that's fair. Uh, but again, you don't need to reach that threshold to have value in, in most leagues. Yeah, sometimes he's got to get the saves, and that's enough. And <laughs> he misses some bats while doing it. So I would agree with you, a, a lower-end sort of pickup, but if you only have two sources of saves right now and just want to see if you can get lucky, I do think there's enough there. Robles worth bidding on at least in 15-team leagues and anything deeper. 
We've been keeping an eye on the situation in San Francisco. Jake McGee's hit a couple of bumpy stretches lately. Is Tyler Rogers rosterable? Because it seems like anytime Jake McGee falters or is unavailable, it's Tyler Rogers who gets the save opportunities in San Francisco. Yeah, and I certainly am more interested in him than than Robles in a 15-team league. I would be, if he's still out there, I'd be going probably at least 4% after Rogers because I think that, uh, aside maybe from one other reliever we're going to talk about in a minute here, that he's got the best chance to really accumulate some saves rest of season. And you know, Gabe Kapler said as much, I think about two weeks ago, that Rodgers would see more situations. So, uh, you know, not a typical closer profile, but tons of ground balls, so he can certainly be effective. Yeah, you can get away with that lower K rate if you keep the ball on the ground as much as Tyler Rodgers does. I would say if both Robles and Rodgers are available, uh, if I'm similar bids, I think, on both players, maybe a little more on Tyler Rodgers, but... Not going overboard here. I still think it's 1% to 2%. Nothing more than that really needs to happen at this point for me. I think that's a competitive enough bid to get it done. Uh, let's talk about one guy I know you like because he came up earlier this week on Fantasy Baseball in 15. Michael Fulmer. Kind of seems like the Tigers are pushing him more into short relief at this point, which might be the next logical step in his career. And frankly, I think he could be a really good reliever uh, how much of a share of the save situations do you really expect him to get going forward? And I guess if you think about life beyond the next two and a half months, is he even still a Tiger? Because if he gets traded, he's probably not a closer somewhere else, even though he could be a quality high leverage option on a contending team. Yeah, and so that probably limits his window for getting saves on a, on a regular basis. Cause yeah, I don't necessarily see Fulmer being a, a closer on another team. I mean, there's, there's a scenario you could imagine where a team in the stretch really needs a closer uh, to, to shore up their, their postseason chances. And, and maybe Fulmer could get a role that way, but I, I think he does get the role with the Tigers going forward. And given what the, the closer landscape looks like the last couple of years, I don't worry as much about what's going to happen, you know, Jul- July, August and after. Uh, if you've got somebody who's got a chance to get regular saves in the very near future, I think you you go a little bit aggressively after that person. And, and Fulmer looks, I mean, that's a situation in Detroit where it's just been begging for somebody to come in and and take that role. And I think Fulmer is probably a week or two away from, from doing that. And not to always be a cynic, but if they like Gregory Soto long-term, one way to keep Gregory Soto as cheap as possible is to let someone like Michael Fulmer close for a little while. So I would say these three are all pretty similar in terms of my shorter term expectations. Handful of saves maybe in the next week or so. Fulmer probably has the best path to a larger role, at least for a little while. I I think I get too caught up in thinking too much about August and September. It doesn't matter. If you get a dozen saves between now and then and you end up spending two or three percent of your budget on Fulmer now, which might be all you have to do to get him, that pays off in a huge way. Great. He gets traded to a contender later. You got a dozen saves before that happened. You had a guy that was pacing out for almost 30 saves on your roster for a couple of months. Those guys are hard to find. So I think of these three, he might be the highest priority of the bunch. Again, not smashing the piggy bank and going wild here, but I do think if you're really hurting for saves, Fulmer could help out uh, beyond the short term and end up surprising you with skills too. I think he could just be one of those guys that we were kind of bored with as a starter, 
But as a reliever, the numbers start to pop. The K rate goes up. You know, the velo plays up. The secondaries look really crisp. I, I could see that being the case for Michael Fulmer. All right, well, there you have it. We uh, we made it through, Al. Not uh, not the most inspiring group of, of pitchers this week. Not necessarily the best week of waiver wire pickups as a whole, but hopefully an enjoyable pod nonetheless. Uh, I hope so, and I uh, wish everybody luck this week. And uh, even with the you know relatively thin crop of players to pursue, uh, some players that, that could help you, at least in the short term. Absolutely. On Twitter, he is at LMelkyOrBB. I am at Derek Van Riper. If you'd like to drop us a line, Fantasy Pods at The Athletic is the email address. Tweets, of course, always welcome, though, too. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Under the Radar is back on Tuesday. 